This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is World Changing Ideas. I'm Amelia Hempel. If you're feeling depressed about the state of the world or anxious about climate change, you've come to the right place. We're bringing you big ideas and futuristic projects from people all over the world who are working to fix things. So in my opinion, one of the most world-changing ideas of the last few decades has been eating less meat or eating more plant-based foods, however you want to look at it. There are endless stats about how eating meat can help us save the world and humanity in general. It would reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. It would reduce our antibiotic resistance. It would save a load of the rainforest. And it's so much more sustainable for our future on this planet. But just knowing all that stuff doesn't necessarily lead to behavioral change. When I'm offered a delicious burger, for example, I'm probably not thinking about how it increases my risk of cancer or a stroke. I'm not imagining the farming conditions those animals went through. I'm actually just smelling some tasty food and I want to eat it right now. And this has been a big challenge for plant-based food or meat substitute companies generally, because people are not going to change their buying behavior to eat something that doesn't taste good to them. Beyond Meat is the best performing stock of 2019. The $12 billion market cap or wherever it is this morning, an unbelievable outcome so far. Now the company's laying off 4% of its workforce, Julie, but we've seen a, this is a remarkable reversal in Beyond Meat shares. This was a rough go this year, which was supposed to be a really big one for partnerships with QSRs, McDonald's. McDonald's and Yum Brands, the parent of KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. This has rising inflation, is hurting companies' efforts to make its pricier, plant-based meat more affordable for consumers across the globe. Q Beyond Meat. Initially, the company was a shining star in the world of protein substitutes. Finally, a plant-based burger that tasted like meat and supposedly wasn't destroying the planet or your health. The company IPO'd to huge excitement in 2019, but with other plant-based companies on the rise and constant pressure to get consumers on board with their vision, it hasn't been an easy ride for the company. What have they got that, say, Impossible Burger hasn't? And what more do they need to do to tempt those beef lovers away from their cherished barbecue steaks? Our impact reporter Talib Visram was one of the first people to try the Beyond Burger 3. If you haven't tried one, here's his taste profile of exactly what it tastes like. It still has its own unique flavor, I think, that isn't quite like beef, but pleasant nonetheless. Also, it was crispy on the outside and tender inside, which is obviously due to the way it's prepared, but it shows that it can be prepared like that classic kind of trendy smash burger. Fast forward to today. They're onto the Beyond Burger number four. The company's partnered with McDonald's to create the McPlant Burger. It is an addition on the menu rather than replacing the actual meat burgers. But as well as re-engineering their burger recipe, they've also developed plant-based steaks. So is this just like the latest iPhone, where you don't really know what's changed, but you just know it's better? Or is this new recipe an actual game changer, a world-changing idea? Talib got a sneak preview of this one too, so here's his hot take. My biggest qualm with the 3.0 that we tried last year was that it had a little bit of a metallic sort of rusty aftertaste. That wasn't the case with this one, the 4.0. I think it was a much more pleasant taste without that aftertaste. 
We did have some great sound of Talib actually eating this burger, but we're saving that for social media. So go follow us at Fast Company on TikTok and on Instagram. Okay, back to the burgers. Who will be the winner of the plant-based protein wars? Do Americans just prefer that addictive taste of fatty, salty meat? Or is this the future? A world-changing idea that is going to go the distance, despite some pretty rocky patches. Taleb sat down with the CEO of Beyond Meat, Ethan Brown, at Fast Company's Innovation Festival to find all of this out. Ethan, thanks so much for, for being here again. We connected last year uh, on the 3.0, and now it's the 4.0. Yes. Which we tried uh, a couple of hours ago, and thank you for that. So between the 3.0 and 4.0, how much energy and work goes into, you know, refining the process? You know, it's an enormous amount of work, and it's something that, uh, you know, I'm very proud of our group of scientists and engineers who work on this. There are many are very young. I think what attracts them to the company is the kind of dual benefit that we offer, where it's, you know, good for the earth and, and good for your body, and potentially, you know, could help you prevent some of these diseases. We tend to get very bright scientists who, who are driven to constantly improve. And we have a program called the Beyond Meat Rapid and Relentless Innovation Program. And it's designed to never be satisfied with what we have. Um, and I think that's a pretty good uh, way to think about continuous improvement. As you get closer to the true north of animal protein, of the beef uh, that we're, we're chasing or the, the chicken that we're chasing or the pork that we're chasing, it does become harder to make those improvements. Yeah. Right? And so it's a very common thing where the curve is. It takes an enormous amount of effort, but I think on this one, we've had a breakthrough. In the particular format that we've been able to utilize, it has that kind of serum, that kind of animalic taste to it that you get when you're biting into a beef burger. Mm -hmm. Crumbles a little bit toward the end of your bite so that you, you really do feel like you're, you're consuming animal protein. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're making advances, not only in the flavor systems that we're using, and I talked about this where it's really a game of matching where you're looking at the 4,000 or so molecules that make meat taste like meat. Then you're trying to isolate those molecules and we use mass spectrometers to do that. And then we try to match those molecules with ones that are in plants, extract them and utilize them in flavor systems. And we're getting better at that. And if I could pause for a second just to explain how this is done. Yeah. So the animal consumes vegetation and water and then they use the skeletal muscular system, biology, right, to create muscle. And then we harvest that muscle as meat. So it's a process of taking protein in from plants, reorganizing into muscle flesh form that we, we recognize as meat. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is taking the protein directly from the plant and obviously taking water. And we are basically breaking the bonds of the protein and resetting them in the structure that you'd expect in meat, right? From a sensory experience, not necessarily exactly the same, but, yeah. but to your palate. And so that's skipping the animal entirely. And I think we're just getting closer in how we structure those proteins and how we distribute the fat among the proteins. Right. So that's a big deal, right? Because before, I think earliest iterations of our products had a poorly distributed fat content. It was like you'd have pockets and then none. Ah, yeah. Amazing. And were there any specific things that you were really looking to do between the three and four? Were there items that maybe you got pushback on that you really wanted to improve? I remember I said, you know, that the one thing was maybe kind of a, a bit of a lingering taste. Sure. You know, anything like that that you were really trying to hit on? Yes. Yeah. And we do a lot of testing where we, we get consumer feedback and things of that nature. But on this, you know, there, there is a taste to our products. It's a Beyond Meat taste. Yeah. That's great that people have, I mean, generally, it's what's neat for me is that you see kids who have grown up eating this stuff and they're like, well, I just prefer that. 
right? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but there is still a distinction between ours and animal protein. We're not there yet. We know that. This one is closer, and I don't think you have that special Beyond Meat taste to it. As you consume the product and, and chew through the last 30, 40% of the, of, of the product in your mouth, you're having more of that kind of animalic taste yeah. than you do the Beyond Meat taste. And that was a big, big breakthrough for us. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Since we last talked, has your average customer changed in, in terms of, you know, firstly, are you targeting the same people and has the base grown? Yeah, so I really enjoy the process of trying to understand how to get a disruptive product to the mainstream. A lot of the classic literature in the technology space I think applies to, to food so we started the company in 2009, around 2015, we started to 2016, really move rapidly through what you would call the early adopter population, right? People that are interested in taking new things and, and are more experimental. And then at some point you exhaust that audience, that consumer base, and you hit a wall where it's a, they call it the chasm, right? And you got to get across to the mainstream and they call the second group, this is uh, the early majority. And I think where Beyond Meat is, is we're kind of at the tip of the end of that early adopter, and we've got to get into the early majority, right? Okay. And, and so yeah. we're going after, even harder than ever, the mainstream animal protein consumer, right? And so it's the flexitarian is the first part of that bigger tranche. So we have mm. some of the flexitarians. So let's say you have 6% of the population here in the U.S. is vegan or vegetarian. You look at our household penetration, it's around 10%. So we're getting the vegan vegetarian and we're getting a small number, 4% or so, of people that are flexitarian for either health or environmental reasons. Our job is to get into that early majority now, right? And I think the way to do that is the three things that I was talking about. It's really like, I call them like a holy trinity. You, you know, you have to drive the taste so it's indistinguishable, right? And I think we're getting closer. I think the 4.0 is a really good advance. Second, the health benefits. You have to make that crystal clear to the consumer. And there's noise out there that, you know, we're, we're disrupting a very big industry that has deep pockets and they're, they're funding people in advertisements and everything else to try to create question marks around the health of our products, which is absurd. And that's why we do work with Stanford University. We have a five-year program with Stanford Medical that looks at the health benefits of our, of our products. And, yeah. and we can't influence the outcome. They run the studies and, and, and they publish the results. So far, they've been great particularly around LDL, cholesterol, bad cholesterol, and something called TMAO, which is a, a compound in the gut that's associated with heart disease and with certain types of cancer. Both of those went down during the study. So it was, oh, very, wow. yeah, it was really, really powerful information. Yeah. So we need to keep making that message clear that product's going to taste just like animal protein as we get better. The health benefits are there, and they're going to continue to improve. And then third is, is price. We have to get the price to be at the same as animal protein. Even though consumers see the benefits of doing this, even if it tastes exactly the same, you have to get the price to where it's at parity. They're not really willing to pay that much more for it, and particularly in this environment, right? So one of the things that's been difficult is helping people to decipher what's being caused by global inflationary pressure and what's being caused by just regular consumer adoption. And our products are more expensive. And so yeah. when you're walking into the grocery store and all products are 13% higher versus last year, gas prices are higher, et cetera, you're gonna trade down, mm. right? And so. I think there's confusion in the marketplace about the sustainability of this category from a you know growth perspective, and that's because there's so much noise in the system. Yeah. So our job, our sole job, is to get from that early adopter group into the early majority group, and we're making progress there. That's why these partners with McDonald's and Pepsi and you know the Yum brands, all yeah. the things Taco Bell today, is so important. What's absolutely critical about the Taco Bell launch? It's going to be launched at parity, so it's going to cost the same amount the Taco Bell steak costs. 
Right. right. And so that's really important. We don't want to penalize a consumer for making a choice that's better for the earth and better for their body. Well, so let's talk about the Taco Bell partnership then. So what is the product? And are Taco Bell nerds, I guess, you know, Taco Bell fanatics going to be happy about it? Yes. So Yum is, is a great partner to us and as a McDonald's, Pepsi. It's a privilege to work with all of them. I think that for Taco Bell, this is a carne asada product. Mm -hmm. And it, for us, it really has that like skirt steak type fatty texture to it. Right. It is delicious. I will say this is one of our best products. Okay. It, it is fantastic. Yeah. There's not a chance that in a, a, a Taco Bell wrap or quesadilla, you can tell this is a plant protein versus animal protein. Wow. I mean, I really, I think if you do a blind test, it, people would be like, oh, absolutely, that's animal protein. So this one got really close, and I'm excited about it because it's also the same price. Now they're gonna test it in Ohio. Okay. So we're gonna see. Sure. Does it come with a plant-based cheese? I think Taco Bell is, is first gonna use animal cheese. Okay. Yeah, and then ultimately, you know, it's up to them. Sure. And will it taste as good when you're drunk? <laughs> as we were joking, I think uh, it's been um, carefully crafted to go well with alcohol. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and, and so we tried this skirt steak. You made some quesadillas for us, which were, were really good. And, and that's a slightly different product from, from what Taco Bell is going to sell. It is different. Yeah. 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 It, I would say that we use the same underlying technology, but we created a proprietary version for Taco Bell that has all the delicious Taco Bell flavor systems and things like that in it. Um, yeah. So it, it is different. Yeah, I'm also excited about to use fava bean, vital wheat gluten. So it's, it's a very, I think it's a good shorter ingredient list that communicates, you know, the, the cleanness of our products. So what's what's next? I feel like you've you've conquered so many different meats and so many cuts of meat. Yeah. Uh, what's next? Well, it's to get better and better. I mean, that, that's really the the founding ethos of our company is this constant improvement, relentless improvement. And so it's driving against that, you know, call that holy trinity of, of taste, and health, and, and price. Just continuing to make our existing products better and better. We do have loon shots and things like um, bacon and stuff that's out in the future. But you know, that relentless march of let's keep making these products better so that they are indistinguishable to someone who isn't thinking about the climate benefits, the health benefits, but just wants a convenient, great tasting product, right? Yeah. I think the big opportunity for our business is to get across that chasm, to go from that early adopter to the early majority. Yeah. And I think that's you know incumbent on us in the next 18 to 24 months to, to do that and to do it in an environment that you know, has a lot of uh, distortion in it because of the way the economy is operating right now. But I think through the partnerships we have, through our focus on driving cost out, delivering taste, I think we'll get there. Just lastly, Ethan, I, I wanted to ask, you know, when you first came out, you were the new big thing, you were revolutionizing the industry. And now, you know, I cover this quite a bit and there's a lot of new plant-based meats coming out, cell-based meats. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have mycelium-based yeah. meats. Are you now one of the legacy brands? You know, you and Impossible, are you kind of the old guys now? And how do you kind of, is that enough? Or do you also need to keep in disrupting the industry? Yeah. I think we always have to be disruptive and yeah. be disruptive ourselves. And we have all kinds of Gunkworks programs that are in different technologies and things of that nature. I, I've looked at in vitro meat before I started Beyond Meat, looking in the mid 2000s and talked with some scientists there. And I felt the cost curve was tough then. And there's a joke in the fuel cell industry that uh, fuel cells are good for the future and they always will be. <laughs> right. And, I, yeah. and so I was a little worried about getting involved in something that, that didn't, I couldn't see the tail end of the cost curve. But this is such an important thing for the world and for my children and for the next generation and this generation. I like seeing all these companies come in, you know, and I, I'm confident in what we do and how we do it. I'm confident that if there's someone that's doing a really great job, we would make an acquisition offer or something like that, you know. Yeah. So I think it's good. What the sector needs now is to get out of that early adopter group and into the mainstream. 
it's a huge industry, right? And there's yeah. so much in the animal protein industry across the globe, but there's plenty of space for other players. And so the, the marketing that goes on when these new companies come out or when Impossible's marketing, so that is beneficial to all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the disappointments that I had with the climate bill in D.C. was it underrepresented the role that food can play in fighting climate. And you look at the people who really study climate, like look at a Bill Gates or something. You know, he's, he's all about the food system needs to become more climate friendly. All of us working in that direction, the more venture money can go into it, the more consumer attention it can get, the better for our earth. Great. Well, well, Ethan, thank you again so much for for chatting. Uh, maybe we can do this uh, for the five point Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. It'll be great. It'll be great. Good. Good. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. On one level, it feels like we're on the cusp of a big breakthrough. But huge societal changes rarely happen without a lot of resistance and bumps along the road, right? Plant-based foods are going to have to up their marketing, test tasting, and research game to take on the meat industry long-term. And, of course, to get their prices down, as Ethan Brown pointed out. We're going to be looking into the weird and wonderful world of alternative foods cropping up all around the globe. All of them are promising to make the world a better place. But what's the reality actually going to be? Subscribe to World Changing Ideas if you haven't already, and we'll bring you some futuristic answers. That's it for our show this week. We'll speak to you again next Wednesday. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We want to hear about the world-changing ideas where you are. Our show was produced by Avery Miles, mixing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Joshua Christensen is our supervising producer, editorial oversight from deputy editor Kate Davis, and senior VP of entertainment Scott Mebus. 